0: Hello and welcome to our Thursday morning doer series with Grand Theft Life. I'm Brock and I'm here with Joel Shackleton. This profile series is dedicated to highlighting individual millennials who are breaking through the typical stereotypes and courageously using new technology to make an impact and improve their lives. For more information and links to their stories and social accounts, go to grandtheft.life and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. In this edition of our Doer series, we're highlighting Virgil Abloh. He is the creative director for Louis Vuitton and the founder of, of Off-White. Not everybody might be familiar with him, but I think it's an interesting case study on luxury brands. We're going to spend a little bit of time going into his background, how he ran creative for Kanye West's agency called Donda. You know, was part of the creative process of Watch the Throne, one of his albums with Jay-Z. He was actually nominated for a Grammy for that, but... Maybe more interestingly, for some of the investors and and people that aren't familiar with the brand, we're going to finish the conversation talking about the dynamics of luxury brand building and the intersection between how important it is to be a utility versus the social capital that uh, a brand kind of delivers to its audience. So before handing it off to Joel, I just want to give people a little bit of a a backstory and again, why I think... He's important or interested to talk about. So like many millennials, you know, he's got two degrees, none of which he actually ended up using at all. He went (laughs) to a civil engineering school and then got his master's in architecture, Um, ended up working in architecture for a couple of years, was from Chicago. But his kind of origin hustle story is he was obviously a fan of Kanye West being from the Chicago suburbs and ended up tracking him down. Uh, by figuring out where his merch was screen printed and then convincing that that store to introduce him to his tour manager. So that's kind of how he got on board. It didn't take him long. It was 2002. So 18 years ago already that he became creative consultant. It was like a year later when Kanye was like brought him on full time. He quit his architecture job and he was just a creative consultant for Donda. Fast forward a little bit, you know, it's funny how these like serendipitous moments happen. I don't know if you read about this, Joel, when you were doing some research on him, but he ended up taking an intern- internship at Fendi, about five or six years after becoming a creative consultant. That humility baked in him because he was only getting paid by Fendi, five hundred dollars a month, to come there and be an intern and learn uh, in Rome. But what what I think is so interesting about that, and why I love emphasizing these types of, you know stories where people decide to be or exercise humility is because Michael Burke, who was then the CEO of Fendi, noticed this. He noticed his hustle and then exclusively recruited him to be the creative director because he's now CEO of Louis Vuitton. And I'm pretty positive he's making more than $500 a month now.
1: (laughs) Man, that's pretty, that's a really interesting backstory. But yeah, that, that definitely converges with a lot of what we've been saying over the last nine months of doing this podcast just identifying people that are willing to put in um the long termism of uh, <laughs> that that is required to build something um one difficult but also long lasting and um uh, profitable and uh something that's consistent right so I, I mean this guy kind of emphasizes everything that we want in like a powerful or in, in a um a, a reformed millennial in a sense somebody that you want to be like he he takes he takes a lot of the incredible attributes that um, our silent generation has in in terms of um, put, putting their nose to the the grindstone, and uh, just putting in the work, and then also merging that with his unique ability to see the the trend in fashion, the trends in um, the the active culture, and um, merging the two, kind of riding that wave to his current success, and more than willing to to take a take an L and, and go and work at Fendi for 500 bucks, which I wouldn't even say a month, which isn't really an L. It's just a, and some people may say is a, is a step back, but really it was just switching, switching gears and, and jumping into something that perhaps has a longer lasting, more profitable um, future for him. Yeah. So I kind of came out of this dive into Virgil with a little bit more cemented in my beliefs of building a strong and du- the of how to build a strong and durable brand. I know it's been like ever since I watched uh, what's that? What's that show with um, Mad Men? Um, I always felt that that there there was something to um, his ability to see what was going to be cool or what would work with people. Um, it's not as simple as just having a bunch of data t- and and grouping 50 MBAs and then breaking down the 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 numbers of of a successful company. There's something to that. I mean, as human beings, we've been and we've been uh, taking in information via reading and listening for hundreds and thousands of years, but we've been communicating and and in absorbing information for millions of years visually. It's increasing, well, not increasingly. We're 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 developing metrics to figure out how social capital is is accrued and then also um, paid out. But we still haven't quite figured it out. I still think that in in the game of branding and marketing, there is that hot hand theory, or people that just legitimately have a nose for these things. Um, In my business, we usually just say that that's luck, but I don't believe that that's possible. There's no way that someone like Kanye West can be as successful so frequently with the same framework that we ignore, and then just keep on hitting home run after home run after home run. So I do believe that in this branding, the development of high-margin luxury brands, there is a, a framework for it. And I think we're, as you and I will collaboratively go through and how we kind of break down how it's worked so well for Off-White and then yeah. um, kind of associate it with a few of the other brands that are out there.
0: Well, I think one of the good examples using Virgil is in 2012, before he came out with Off-White, which is the first like one year before he came out with Off-White, he had this company called Pyrex Vision. So a lot of times, again, it's perceived that there was this master plan and, and it was all leading up to Off-White and then he released it and it was a massive hit. But of course he had, like you mentioned, a bunch of quote-unquote L's. This wasn't necessarily an L, but he never went into it with the intention of building a luxury brand. But what Pyrex Vision did was literally just buy $40 stock Ralph Lauren champion shirts and then screen print Pyrex Vision 23 on them, and sell them for literally $500. And he would sell those out. So I think maybe that's a good point to kind of kick off the conversation around how important it is to be, like, is sensationalism necessary to sell something that is so luxury? Because this Pyrex, Pyrex Vision screen print was was enormous, right? It was obvious. It's sort of how you see, we were talking about this earlier, but how you see Balenciaga, like, plastered across seemingly normal type clothes. It, it was similar vibe to that. So I'm curious, in your research, do you find that to be a luxury brand, do you have to be
1: like beyond prolific? Without answering that directly, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of dance or build a some context to it. There's I mean us as human beings, I think that there's two intrinsic principles is that we are one, status-seeking monkeys and that two, we often will seek out the most efficient path to maximizing our social capital. And um, for just visualization's sake, think of social capital as your following or the amount of people that li- like your, your pictures or the amount of people that'll retweet you or whatever social network you're using. We have now today all of these like beautiful, ultra-powerful social networking apps and platforms um, that allow for us to kind of measure this, I don't know, sensationalism. But I do think that there is something to loudness. When I think of how we we, we measure whether or not being prolific is important, I want to kind of identify how that is important. So to me, it's it's tied between scarcity, creating a difference between you and the people around you, and then within that difference, having something very identifiable. So this kind of really hammers on the, the current branding strategy of Supremes, of the, of the orange tag that goes on your shoes, of the off-white shoes, these identifiable things that differentiate you from the people that you are around and then allows for you to kind of silo with the people that you want to be like. So um, I'll use an example of, of Rihanna, who is a Fendi model, or I think she's actually a part brand owner, but she is consistently different and loud. She's constantly separating herself from her competition. And that creates a a social status. Well, yes, Rihanna is incredibly famous. There is something unique amongst, or not unique, but something consistent amongst all powerful and let's say socially powerful people. And it's not that they are, If I mean, yes, they're either one really, really, really good at something, but they also Dress in a way, or when we're referring to brands, they also dress in a way that differentiates them from the common human being that has 500 to 2,000 followers on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. So they have this unique ability to, or this consistency in how they brand themselves. And that is generally with really loud and in some cases obnoxious styling. Balenciaga plastered across your chest, or in LeBron James's example, he'll wear pants that are, I mean, we would assume are six inches too short. They'll be quite tight, or he'll have five jackets on. He'll wear three sweaters and an overcoat. He'll have all of these things that you just wouldn't see a regular person wearing, and that is something that separates you from the rest. The reason why I think Off-White and Virgil has been is, is so unique in the same way that I think Kanye West is so unique is that he has this understanding that, and this goes back to a million of the other conversations we've already had, it's it's finding the poker table you want to play at. If you think that um, Lululemon and Puma and Kitten Ace and all of these fairly... Reserved brands are fighting with one another at a table and they're 60 billion dollar businesses to 150 billion dollar businesses And their margins are super tight. They have incredible scale and they're sitting at one table Well, do you want to go and you want to start making $50 t-shirts at that table without having a, a very unique strategy? I don't not at all. So what does Virgil think? He says, you know what? I can do this differently I'm going to make something that is obnoxious or loud or something that not everyone is going to want to um, wear. And not everyone can wear on a daily basis. But there is a small subsect at this tiny little poker table over here. And I don't have to go and compete with the big boys on a, on a, on a scale in which I just don't have the resources for. And uh, to me, this is their their skill. That they're, one, able to create something that is on is riding a wave of trend. But then also... Um, Does it in a way or a fashionable way that um, becomes cool to think that just a tag on a shoe is a good enough collab to charge an additional four, five, six, seven, eight hundred percent on a pair of shoes is really neat, actually. And the way in which they do that is is something that is difficult to balance. And this is something that we were kind of discussing a little bit earlier, but it was it it revolves around this idea of uh, scarcity in addition to social status. So in um, a lot of what the reading that I've done in this, this space, it, it, they, they've been talking a lot about um, utility and social status. I think that it would be reasonable to add a third to that. So you have scarcity, social status, and then you have utility. And these are the three things that you need to balance, when, in my opinion, when you're building a brand that has high margin. So if you're wanting to charge, in some cases, two, three, 400% more than what the, the cost of the goods are by just adding a few things, you need to go and play at a table that perhaps doesn't come with as much scale and then you also need to be be willing to recognize that your total addressable market isn't going to be 7 billion people. It's probably only 70,000. So you go, you go to that table that has a smaller number of people, smaller number of people playing at it, but also the margins are massive. And if you have a unique ability to pick the people that are good at playing at that poker table, which I think is possible, and, I, and these people have done it by continuing to do it over and over and over again. In, in the case of, of Virgil and Supreme picking Odell Beckham Jr., um, Nike with LeBron James, uh, Kanye West with his family. <laughs> um, they have all of these. They have this unique skill at picking people that have an enormous amount of social status that allows for them to uh, develop these incredible business margins just by making things loud and unique.
0: Does that kind of make sense at all? It does make sense. So let me try and layer that on top of what I've noticed Virgil to do, because I, I think it's pretty accurate. So one of his, I, I watched a commencement speech that he did at Harvard Design School. And one thing that stuck out to me was he has this theory of 3%, well, like a, a bit higher, actually, take a step back. He has this idea of personal design language. So he has a set of rules that he applies to every project that he works on. And he suggested to the kids there, you should all be developing your own personal design language so that there's a throughput on all of your projects. Because he does collabs, not just with Nike, but all kinds of different companies. One of his points to his personal design language is this idea of 3%. So he says that, you know what, he doesn't actually want to design a new shoe. When Nike comes to him and says, these are our 10 most classic silhouettes, he says, I just want to change this. Three percent. I want to make it different. I want to put my spin on it. So I think that would be your point about being different and the personal design language for all of these noteworthy luxury brands is very apparent. You know, you can you know when people are wearing Gucci or Balenciaga, these types of uh, very expensive brands. The scarcity thing, like the social capital, is obvious. He, I think, was able to leverage some of that from Kanye West and the celebrities that wear his brand. The scarcity one is one I kind of want to talk to you a little bit more about because it's unique in his case where, yes, there was only 10 silhouettes that he designed for Nike and and they are all in the multiple hundreds or thousands of dollars. So there was scarcity there. But he has a collab coming out with IKEA where he put in a lot of work. He designed basically what is a millennial's apartment by coming up with new (laughs) takes on all of the furniture that's required in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be at a price point that is still IKEA, yet it's supposed to be mass produced with his brand. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: It doesn't correlate with what we we identify as being successful, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, to me, you would never see a Louis Vuitton attach itself to um IKEA. That would be death to the brand. Yeah. Um, not only that, it's it's also going into a portion of people's homes that they don't spend a lot of time in. And it, it starts to fail from the f- from the factor of you're not signaling to other people that you have this social capital as well. So like to me, that seems like a miss. Maybe perhaps he's just getting paid, but I don't think he actually needs money. I don't really love that idea because it, it, de- it kind of flies in the face of everything that he's been doing right. Because every time he hits a home run, it has a lot to do with scarcity, a lot to do with pricing power, and a lot yeah. to do with it being identifiable from a, lo- a far distance and you're going into high social areas too right when you're going to the airport when you're going to out oh, for dinner when you're going to school when you're going to a hockey game a, a a basketball game you are there in an unlimited attention field right when you're at home it's constrained so i guess un- unless there's some sort of game being played with that he believes might be the future, an IKEA table that gamers are using or something along those lines where they can leverage other people's social status and then start to increase pricing. If it's a game where IKEA is trying to bang out their their margins a little bit more, I could see that. But outside of the fact that I mean, why would you mass produce ever? Cuz that all that does is erode the social value. Social capital is something that erodes quickly without incredible utility. I'll use an example. Apple has been able to maintain its social capital and its pricing power and margins because the utility of the product is so strong. If that product was garbage, they'd have to lower pricing. And it wouldn't be as cool for everyone to wear because it just wouldn't you wouldn't want to. Whereas if you are building crappy tables and sticking a tag on the side and nobody likes using them and you're also putting a million of them out there that flies in the face of what has made him successful in the first place. So I don't actually love that. I mean, to me, it's a failed uh, business model. However, um, unless they're, they're only going to make 150 of them and you're going to give them all to the gamers and then they're all going to go and buy IKEA furniture and then stamp it on the side, and it'll be fake, but it'll make it look like you're you're part of the clan. Um, I just I can't I can't see why that would be a, a play yeah. for him.
0: I think that was maybe just more of a passion project. He claims to stand for democratic design, and IKEA serves two billion people. So maybe it was just getting his ideas into more hands. I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Speaking of scarcity, I've noticed this trend towards drops, like people releasing products, not always on sale, but there'll be a drop every few months. Mm-hmm. Do you think like, for example, if I'm an influencer, obviously not, but if you, if you were an influencer, you had a clothing brand, do you like that strategy? How would you compare it to a retail store that always has things on sale?
1: So the, the growth of margins and luxury brands has it really stagnated for a long time Obviously, it does really, really well in bull markets or when people are making more money or when the economies are expanding. But it has been highly correlated with or the the most recent run up in luxury products and expansion of margins has been been highly correlated with the invention of Facebook and Instagram, where it's very visible. And I can also, at least this is just my opinion, I think with a lot of things come with um, innovation and technology. So you'll have a traditional business model that stagnates for a long time until it can attach itself to a new technology and then use that as a lever to improve. I think what we're seeing now with this advent of, of Drop Shop or where you'll have a store open up, they'll have a hundred pairs shop. of silhouettes or whatever. Oh um, drops. Yeah, like where you, you have a, a flash sale or whatever. What do you I, I think that the correlation here is actually with um, a market an online marketplace for the silhouette, the shoes themselves. So you now have a place in which things can be driven up in price and create more scarcity, more social status just by having a marketplace for them. It's the same way in which it allowed for more people to have access and visibility or the ability to invest in stocks. the Markets drastically increased. You had an inflow of capital into businesses. I think this is very similar in that there's a new technology underlying that came about which is the, the securitization of, of shoes and delivery delivery within days the way in which you have um, decentralized blockchain tech which you can ensure that these things are done safely and encrypted you have the ability to ship all these things to us so we have these new exchanges and a good example of this would be stockx rally road where you can have you can own 300 shares of a ferrari you can own well one of 300 shares of a ferrari you have the avail- the ability to buy into a Turkish mansion that's worth eighty million dollars, and there's a million shares, and you pay eighty dollars for it. There's all of these new there's this new um, push towards securitization and marketization of these goods because of the cell phone, the the exchanges themselves, and technology. And I think that that is the reason why they now go about doing this. It's almost as though they're IPOing shoes, and that, to me. Is just a new form of sales. It's a sales tactic and it's working wonders. And that's because of new tech. Does that seem like a a decent take or what? Yeah,
0: that's a good theory. Tell me a little bit about how you think about price because you have all the underlying knowledge of pricing IPOs and how that compares to pricing drops. So, for example, I know my background is a little bit more in the SaaS world software, and the most common advice that new acquirers will give startups is just triple your price. <laughs> just do it. And that's I think literally, that, that's literally the, what they say. They buy the company. like, okay, well, uh, I don't know what everybody's like been, uh, twiddling their thumbs for all we're doing here is doubling the price. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty simple. I mean, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. I think that this is, that's the beauty of markets is that it allows for you to negotiate and negotiate at speed and scale so you have these these this ability to be like mm, i just bought these i had i was lucky enough to get this 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 model of jordan and um past price history is also measured on these apps and webs and websites so you can see what the typical new drop at with this amount of um this amount of volume or not volume but this amount of supply of shoes t- traditionally gets and you can start to be Um, you can act in a similar way to what I do when I'm buying stocks, you can actually do with shoes and you can do with shirts, you can do with sweaters, you can do with watches, you can do with everything. So now you're, you're essentially doing, you're going on this website, you're like, you bought it for 200 while I was lucky enough to get it. So there's gotta be some sort of intrinsic value there. So now I'm going to be like, "Mm, I'm this white boy that's friends with DJ Khaled. So I'm I'm gonna buy all these shoes up and I'm gonna sell them for six, seven, eight times more than what they were going for at at the store. And then you you play the game from there, right? You go down as needed, and then eventually you create an efficient market price for it.
0: Right. So it's just the fact that there's such obvious arbitrage because
1: it's not efficient pricing yet? No, and not only that, I think part of the beauty of their branding is that they know they're underpricing them. They could probably get twice as much money from their consumer but it doesn't increase their social status as much as if you know as a consumer of this product you're going to make double your money if you're lucky enough to get it right you got 500 people in line if you know you're if you're only making five percent on those shoes you ain't win in line but if you're lucky enough to get five pairs and you know you're doubling your money on it well you're keeping them <laughs>
0: Right? You know, I hate to I hate to keep pumping Gary V's tires, but he, without explaining it how we did, he did this perfectly because he released his collab with K Swiss on a limited basis for a retail price, knowing that all of his fans were gonna get an opportunity to make money on them. And he told them to. He's like, go put the wait, go put them on eBay. You'll make double what you paid for them. And to your point, he could have charged more, but he increases his social capital by keeping it at a, a low price.
1: They're like, oh my God, Gary Vee was so right about these shoes. They doubled in value. And he's like, yeah, I know because I didn't make any money on them. And I knew yeah. that that was going to happen. He plays long games, long-term yeah. games. He always does. He's not all about like quick money, make it all now because you never know if you won't make it in the future. He knows he's going to win in the future. So that's why he always says that. He's like, I don't care what platform everyone's on. I'm just going there because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't care is he's playing a different game than everybody else is. I'm going to win on Instagram. If I don't win there, I'm done. He doesn't care. He doesn't. So, I mean, that is just a tactic in my mind. Not getting full value on sale ends up increasing the duration in lifespan of your brand because it, it just creates more buzz. It's, it, it adds more social capital.
0: How do you explain, I hate to like throw it in anomalies, but like how do you explain brands that continue to have high social capital capital with low utility and seemingly low scarcity,
1: like Gucci? Well, I, I think that that's because they don't mine it too much. I mean, obviously there's constraints, right? Because if you're charging 800 bucks for a belt, only a certain amount of people can buy it. And in therein lies like intrinsically a, a buffer because there is only a certain amount of people that can buy them. and. The way in which people are—we're status-seeking monkeys. We want to be like them, so we wear them. I mean, Gucci's—it invented the game. Rolex invented the game. They—they don't compromise on cost. That's the reason why Apple won't um, compromise on cost. They could sell way more phones, but they don't want to. They like when you're in New York City and you do that. um, Android is red—is the red bubble and iOS um iPhones is a blue bubble and you do a heat map over top of M- Manhattan in New York state all of Manhattan's blue you go it's, the further you go outside of Manhattan it gets red call that whatever you want but we as human beings are constantly wanting to be i mean wealthier so it, the, the 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 business model works really well i'm not saying it's right wrong or otherwise all i'm saying is that if you're trying to sell s- and have a a durable high status brand, you just cannot sell things for cheap because if you do it deteriorates your competitive advantage.
0: What about the idea of scarcity as it comes to content? Because I think part of the reason why we've all romanticized actors in the past is because they only come out and we only see them as characters they play in movies. Do you think it's totally different when, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is developing his brand to be scarce? And we never see him because we only see glimpses of him when he's wearing a hoodie and giving somebody directions in New York.
1: I don't know. Do you think that Nick Cage handled his social status well? Or do no. you think him doing six billion movies was a good thing? How about Adam Sandler? See, that's a
0: good example. I did not thought of that.
1: Like Nick Cage, I bet you can only charge $500,000 a movie now or a million dollars a movie. Leo, don't get that. He gets back end. He gets whatever the hell he wants because he is the super king. I mean, he's choice in ha- in the projects he picks. He obviously has that ability to, to um, identify quality over necessarily somebody else. He's just talented, I think, skillful in his... But he's also leveraging his social status, too. I'm not so certain Once Upon a Time would, in Hollywood would be quite as good with Nick Cage in his role, even if they did exactly everything the same. You just so, don't think that. But yeah, Nick Cage... Handled I, his fame p- poorly. He needed money, and what did he do? He spent all of his social capital trying to pay down debt.
0: That's so real. Oh, my God. <laughs> you never know. You know, it's an interesting anecdote to you, the different silhouettes that uh, Virgil created, those 10 different ones. The mm-hmm. highest price ones are, I think, in line with the most, or the, the communities where you get the most social capital out of them. For example, the the Chicago colorways are the the most expensive, just the red and white ones. Mm-hmm. And then the second highest aren't aren't the Prestos, like some of the cool ones. I I personally think right, are the coolest. but the U N C blue and white ones, the Jordan ones. Oh, the 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 O G the North Carolina.
1: Yeah, his, Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah, his college shoes. Yeah. yeah, no that's really interesting. I mean, that's really really smart pricing, I think. Don't you think? Like you go, all you have to do is go on StockX and be like, "Okay, what's the most ridiculously priced Jordan?" Which basically means it's the most popular one. Let's just do that. We'll we'll price it at that rate, and then we'll go look at the ones that we think people actually will wear and can goes with multiple pieces of clothing, but we'll charge 400 for those, so you could conceivably see more people buying them. But, well, I mean, yeah, they have different levels of scarcity and, st- and status within their shoes. And the ones that perhaps aren't the ones that aren't the most wearable are the most expensive ones, which is, again, smart. Because then only certain people can wear them on a daily basis. Not everyone has the opportunity to dress like Russell Westbrook does. Like You can't just wear a see-through bubble shirt and <laughs> white pants up to your the middle of your shins and insanely loud off-white Jordan's, you can't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't show up to work like that, but he can, because he's freaking cool and he's making fifty million a year and he's <laughs> the most athletic basketball player to ever live. Like he's just, he can, he can do that. He has that, he has that audience and he has that that swag that that um, he's able to 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 work with that. And now I'm just like, man, he's so cool. So is Off White. <laughs>
0: Oh man, right? it's hard to it's hard to overstate what Virgil's done with Offway. In 2018, he was Time's 100 most influential people. This year, he has a, a section at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago that just highlights his career, like 950 products. And he, he's doing that. He said specifically because he loves being ironic and wants to fly in the face of what the typical narrative for millennials is. There's
1: the three, which is perfect. It's I love it. He's he's going to. Is going where, he's going to where the puck is going to be, right? The the Wayne Gretzky quote, which is so lame, but I mean, he's doing everything right. He's doing he he's being a contrarian, but he's a con- contrarian with the strongest magnet on his back. You know, he drags everyone over there, and then he just walks around because he's got he has that that skill and that understanding of of at least my point, or at least in my opinion of pricing, scarcity, um, social capital and utility like he's got all of these things hammered down i mean it's incredibly impressive
0: so what i'm here like my takeaway from this had no idea really about virgil before we started is literally if you, if you want your brand to be high social capital put it on somebody who's already got that make it very <laughs> scarce a little bit different but not too much and price it as high as you possibly can
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't know this is rocket science. I mean, we we were seeing this in, in a lot of these people that were highlighting. They're they're doing it with uh, multiple different products. I mean, I'll even use in my industry Rao Paul, who has Real Vision, he's repricing it up to yeah. six hundred dollars a year for me to consume his his content. Um, if I want his macro view, um his annual macro view, forty two grand. It, this this pricing model or the way in which you um, use your audience and social capital is not, this isn't like revolutionary. How in which we create that social capital is new though. And I think the, the way to think of this, if you're somebody who's investing in it or you're wanting to start a brand, you need to realize that the underlying technology and then the future technology is just as important to, to understand and utilize as the old hat fundamental business model. Because these business models aren't new. It's just how they're implemented that changes. I mean, Virgil isn't the first person to do this. You have all of those other incredibly successful designers from the past that all did it. It's just the technology underlying changes. Cell phones, the market, the marketiza- securitization of goods, the advent of Instagram and our ability to consume with our phones at a much larger time from a larger time frame, images and be influenced by visual, all of those things are the the wave in which Virgil is riding. His his, his or his he's he's backpacked his brand.
0: Yeah, like you were saying, the economics behind it are always the same. Price of coffee goes down demand for stir sticks and everything else goes up <laughs> yeah do you see but beyond like rally road is there any new decentralization or securitization of products similar to shoes
1: no um, i mean StockX is out there generally speaking it is a it's still very early innings in this i think to take advantage of i mean there has been the early winners but uh if you're a, if you're even somebody with an older brand like a poppy barley or um, somebody who is a local brand this is a really really good way to do it. You just need to figure out um, who those perhaps those people those in- influential people in your area are um, and and go from there. not everybody has to be as big as off-white to be successful. You're more than capable of having a really really good brand that only sells a thousand products or a, th- a volume of a thousand a year if your margins are there. If you're making five hundred bucks on a thousand, um, pieces of product pretty good business <laughs> but yeah no uh I'll, I'll find that sneaker i think it's sneaker i don't know yeah anyway there's a few exchanges out there this was a super fun guy to, to learn a little bit more about i always find it fascinating following up and doing a deep dive into these people because they're just so much cooler than me that it makes me kind of like at least check myself and be like okay hey, joel you're getting old
0: um, Just get yourself a off-white jacket and that social capital will be
1: right back up. <laughs> Imagine me wearing one of those. I'd be punched in the face immediately. <laughs> look at this asshole. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look forward to chatting with you on Sunday, buddy. Sounds good. Cheers.
0: If you made it all the way to the end, thanks so much for listening. Again, if you want additional context to the people we're highlighting in this Doer series, You can find links to social accounts and anything else we mentioned at grandtheft.life. We'll be back next Thursday morning with another Millennial Profile. By the way, this should be common sense, but this podcast and our website are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Joel does work for Gold Investment Management and all opinions expressed by him, myself, or any podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of GIM. Clients of gold investment management may actually hold positions discussed in this podcast have a good day everyone